your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to celebrate a great, and it seems to me, very appropriate Senate vote. It was a squeaker. Uh, the senators voted 95 to 1. For what? They voted for national security. They voted to help the United States by uh, welcoming into the NATO alliance, which America leads, uh, welcoming into that alliance two great countries, Finland and Sweden. We've talked about this because this is some of the best news of the year. It just clearly is. So 95 to 1. So who was against it? Well, well, Rand Paul, who doesn't... Uh, uh, seem to have an internationalist outlook, to say the least, tends to be um, on the isolationist side, he uh, voted present. He wasn't the one negative vote. And the one negative vote was Josh Hawley, who is uh, also thinking about running for president, apparently. His argument uh, on the floor of the Senate was, uh, in the face of this stark reality, we must choose. We must do less in Europe and elsewhere in order to prioritize China and Asia. Okay, the idea that you're going to prioritize China and Asia by weakening the NATO alliance, by preventing the NATO alliance from welcoming in the very substantial naval resources of the nation of Sweden, which has a very high-tech, very effective navy that the Russians despise and resent, uh, it, it is inconceivable that Josh Hawley of Missouri would be opposed. He said, and of course, this is without question, we have to consider the national security of the United States first, not the national security of any nation in Europe. But the national security of the United States would have been enhanced if the NATO alliance had been more strong, more determined, more united in preventing the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine undermines our national security. It clearly does. And it also undermines every scintilla of decency out there. Uh, it, uh, it just seems to me that it is uh, appropriate that uh, we are we are now welcoming Finland and Sweden in joining so many other countries, including some of the best and finest countries in the world. Yes, including the United Kingdom and including Germany and France and uh, Netherlands and Denmark and basically all of civilized Europe, Poland, which is a great U.S. ally, and the Baltic republics and more. Uh, Josh Hawley was on Fox News defending his decision to go on record as the lone no vote against allowing Finland and Sweden to join NATO. This is clip 17. Well, really simple. Expanding NATO will not make America stronger and it will not make America safer. What it will do is commit us to sending more troops and spending more money and devoting more resources to Europe. And frankly, I think that's the wrong choice. I mean, just look at the challenges we face at home with our border and abroad and our uh, overseas. Yes. We're talking about our enemies abroad. Our number one threat is not in Europe. It's in Asia. It's China. Okay. Uh, the uh, idea that this is going to cost us more money 
at a time when uh, one of the successes of the Trump administration was putting pressure on our NATO allies to spend more on their own military, and they all have. They are all now within sight of that 2% that was suggested originally by the Obama administration, and uh, the alliance has proven to be more uh, resolute. It has proven to be more resilient and able to actually uh, help to uh, keep Ukraine and its independence alive, which is an important, it seems to me, international goal. This was Mitt Romney on the floor of the Senate uh, talking about the vote to confirm the addition of Finland and Sweden to the array of peace-loving and democracy-loving nations in NATO. Here's Senator Romney. Now, it's well and good for Congress to consider war powers and our role in military conflicts. But doing so as part of the ascension of Sweden and Finland and NATO, while Ukraine is under attack and while Russia may potentially be eyeing violence against NATO nations, is surely not the time. Our commitment to NATO and to Article 5 must be clear and unambiguous. Throughout our nation's history, the United States has not once ratified NATO protocols with a reservation. Now should be no different. Doing so could send the wrong message to the people of Ukraine, to our other friends and allies. And allies. It could even be propagandized as a nod to Putin. I urge my colleagues to vote down Senator Paul's amendment. Our message must be clear. We stand with NATO, with Article 5, and with the admission of Finland and Sweden into our alliance. Uh, thank you, Senator Romney. Uh, the uh, vote today uh, is actually uh, another reason for optimism. And there's a powerful piece that appeared today in the Wall Street Journal. It's Thursday. That means it's Daniel Henninger's column, which is always worth reading. And uh, he writes the case for optimism. And that's not something you hear much in the United States, but it's a tremendously powerful argument. And he's making the argument that, yes, the American people are upset about insecurity on the southern border. They are upset about the price of gas. They're upset about inflation in general and the future of the economy and certainly about the rising crime. But the evidence is that the American people are doing something about it. He uh, says, uh, for instance, uh, if you prefer your optimism hedged, guarded, or provisional, be my guest. But an upside is still poking through the clouds. Start with the Supreme Court. And then he writes, the justices ended their term with two historic decisions, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization and West Virginia versus Environmental Protection Agency. Historic is an abused word. But if it means a dramatic shift from a long status quo, these decisions qualify. Dobbs greatly restores the arbitrating role of the states. For decades, the left has resisted entrusting authority to the states for anything. Suddenly, federalism is now more than an idea discussed in seminars. 
And uh, that's exactly what the argument in Kansas and in other states that are going to go through these battles and working out the state policy. If you believe that the people of the state should shape the laws that pertain in that individual state rather than distant judges in the national capital, then there are elements of Dobbs that need to be celebrated. And then he writes also about the, the idea of, of the environment. In West Virginia versus EPA, he says the high court limited the ability of federal bureaucracies to extend laws beyond Congress's explicit intent. The court's watershed change, a change of direction was explained clearly in a long piece on the front page of the New York Times beneath the headline, EPA ruling is milestone in long pushback to regulation of business. The idea that there is not some inherent right, if Congress hasn't specifically authorized it, for a federal agency to take on a whole new scope. Uh, then crime in America. And he writes about the pushback against um, uh, basically pro-criminal, sympathetic uh, prosecutors who want to have less of a response. And the response and the demand that we now have for actually not defunding the police, but refunding the police. We will get to that and more grounds for optimism, maybe even regarding China and Taiwan. We'll be talking about that with Gordon Chang coming up on The Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved show, a, a great uh, time to think about signing up for our um, Medhead Plus membership. Uh, there is so much going on, and background is so important. Uh, wars, political parties, election landslides, legislative fights, all of that part of American history. And some rather remarkable characters as well, including some of the most despicable and some of the most admirable people in American history who are featured in our history programs. Uh, those programs available to you, all of them, uh, for free if you sign up as a MedHead Plus member. And you can do that right now. The cost is minimal. It is $0.22 cents a day gives you access to our show in a podcast version uh, without commercial interruption, all uh, for $0.22 cents a day, plus access to uh, nearly 100 different hours of programming on some of the background, including our ever-popular series on the origins of the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict in the Middle East. Uh, all of this available to you if you just go to um, michaelmedved.com, look for the banner for MedHead Plus, and join us as a MedHead Plus member, and hope you will. Uh, one of the things that is very important, has been a theme of this show, will continue to be a theme of this show, is the case for optimism, because 
if everything is falling apart and if elections are unreliable and you can't ever win because it's rigged and if because if you believe that power has totally been taken away from the people, that does not encourage people to exercise power. It encourages a victim mentality, which helps no one. And Daniel Henninger writes that crime in America strikes many as totally out of control. Not quite, he writes. Uh, Voters are moving to regain control of criminal justice and their own safety. San Franciscans just recalled, threw out of office in other words, progressive district attorney Chesa Bodine. Uh, an effort to recall Los Angeles District Attorney George Gaskin has collected more than 700,000 signatures and will almost surely succeed. As my colleague, this is his colleague, not mine, but uh, Kimberly Strassel, she's also a colleague of mine, I guess. As my colleague Kimberly Strassel noted recently, writes Daniel Henninger, voter efforts to turn back progressive prosecutors have succeeded in local elections in Nevada, North Carolina, Oregon, and Utah. Uh, let me add to that Seattle, where where we did get uh, rid of a city attorney who was very reluctant to prosecute anything. I mean, including mass storming of retail establishments just to steal stuff off the shelves. Oh, no, we, we don't want to bother those people they're entertaining themselves at no one's expense except the expense of business and law and order and decency and sanity. In any event, uh, Peter Holmes is gone as city attorney. He was voted out of office. And uh, we now have, believe it or not, a Republican, who Ann Davison, who is uh, doing a much better job and has been much more determined to support rather than to contest the uh, police department and other law enforcement agencies that uh, are working to try to keep people safe. A positive lesson emerging from the uh, pandemic's two long years, writes Henninger, is that people are impatient with dysfunction. They want the U.S. system to work. That includes the schools. The union-led mass closing of public schools during the pandemic was a rare political event that simultaneously touched millions of people in an area of life uh, normally taken for granted. No longer. Parental unrest over the schools emerged most prominently last year in Republican Glenn Youngkin's defeat of Terry McAuliffe in Virginia's gubernatorial contest. Even more telling was New Jersey, where Republican Jack Chitterelli nearly defeated Governor Phil Murphy. In no state did unions shut down the schools more tightly than blue New Jersey. Incensed parents filed lawsuits against districts to reopen the schools, and many of them voted for Mr. Chiarelli. He concludes this way, that uh, writing recently for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, he quotes education scholar Chester Finn, who noted that some 31 Mostly red or purple states now have at least one private school choice program on the books that students are using to their benefit, which is to say that the growing number of American kids are receiving normal educations again as their parents uh, flee the politicization of the public schools. A continuum is emerging writes Henninger. 
that equates individual freedom with economic freedom, educational freedom, and the freedom to live securely, led by the voters. America's culture is trying to right itself. Smiles are permitted. Yes, smiles and the hopes of uh, continued progress. And uh, that will come in spite of the misunderstandings of the Biden administration. And this is just a doozy, a doozy. Uh, the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, declared that the Supreme Court made an unconstitutional decision. How? Where? Uh, listen, it's clip 18. From day one, when uh, when the Supreme Court made this extreme decision uh, to take away a, a constitutional right, uh, it was an unconstitutional unconstitutional action by them, a right that was around for almost 50 years, a right that women had to make a decision on their bodies and how they want to start their families. Okay, she's perfectly entitled to call it a misguided decision, to say it's an unfortunate decision, to say that she disagrees with it. But by definition, the Supreme Court gets to decide what is constitutional and what is not. And for her to call a Supreme Court decision, uh, and it, it wasn't even a five to four decision. No, it, it wasn't. It was a six to three decision because Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts also voted with his five conservative colleagues to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, the claim by the White House press secretary that the decision is unconstitutional, that's fairly outrageous. But then again, there's all kinds of outrageous conversations, some of it concerning a, a, a really worrisome uh, threat that is upsetting the leaders of Japan. Uh, what does it mean and what is China going to do to strike back at Nancy Pelosi's visit, which didn't seem that substantive actually, did it? We'll talk about all of that with the one and only Gordon Chang, one of the greatest experts on the security situation uh, in Asia and America's coming confrontation with China. Is there one? We'll talk to Gordon Chang coming right up. Michael Medved show what has to be an alarming headline to anybody with a pulse or anyone who's paying attention at all is wide awake looking around the world is this this is from the Daily Mail over on the other side of the pond where they're having a hot prime minister's race right now which one of the conservative leaders is going to take over but that's a different story headline in the Daily Mail Chinese missiles land in Japan's waters after warnings that miscalculation during Taiwan military drill could spark war. And they put war, capital W-A-R. Outraged Tokyo lodges complaint over Beijing's live fire maneuvers. 
China has launched the largest ever live fire drills around Taiwan, which will come within just 12 miles of its coast. Six exclusion zones have been set up around the island, which will effectively blockade it from sea and air. Okay, what's going on? Where do you turn? You turn to Gordon Chang, of course. That's Gordon G. Chang. It's at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Uh, this is not a great tech war. This sounds terribly close to a shooting war. Uh, what is going on? Thanks, Michael. I think what's going on is that the Chinese political system is going through crisis internally. There's the debt matters, the companies going belly up, the mortgage boycotts, the bank runs. And Beijing needs to have some sort of crisis um, broad to distract the people in, inside China. So, for instance, we've got Chinese troops deep into Indian-controlled territory at this moment. China's trying to break up the Philippines at Second Thomas Shoal. On Friday, there were four Chinese warships in Japanese territorial waters in the East China Sea. And for the last couple months, there's been this intensified campaign of uh, dangerous intercepts in the global commons. They almost brought down an Australian P-8 reconnaissance craft on May 26. So although, you know, we focus in on Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Taiwan, I think that this is an internal crisis, that Beijing is determined some way or another to try to survive through a very hard period for it. Don't we have coming up this fall a new party congress where uh, President Xi is uh, asking for, well, basically he's asking for the president for life status virtually, isn't he? Yes, he is. The Communist Party's 20th National Congress, if tradition holds, will be held in October or November of this year. And that's where Xi is looking for his unprecedented third term as general secretary of the party. Um, that means if he gets that, then he'll become um, president again. And this really is president for life, general secretary for life. And that's why this is so important for him right now. Because if, um, if, if things don't work out for him, I mean, Taiwan's not going to make war on China. Uh, why, why, why is he reacted so... Uh, stridently to uh, <laughs> the visit of the Speaker of the House. We've had previous Speakers of the House who visited Taiwan and lots of uh, congressional representation. What's the big deal with Nancy Pelosi? I think there are two things. First of all, Xi Jinping has made it a test of his own legitimacy of taking back Taiwan. He goes out of his way, especially for the last five years, talking about this. So uh, any defiance on the part of Taipei is considered to be an existential threat to Xi Jinping's rule. But also, I think it's because this trip to Taipei by the speaker was supposed to be unannounced or announced at the last moment. Um, someone leaked it to the Financial Times, um, probably somebody in the Biden administration who did that, um, which is an indication that uh, the Biden administration really wanted her not to go. The president himself on July 20 told reporters that the Pentagon thought it was a bad idea that she'd go. And right after that, that the Beijing just ramped up the rhetoric. It was dire sounding beforehand, but it became even more dire sounding and it became more frequent. I think Beijing felt that they could actually get what they want. So they were wrong. Um, yes, they can intimidate the president of the United States. 
but they can't intimidate a congresswoman from California. Amazing. Uh, what about uh, the the prospect of escalating to a true military confer- confrontation with the United States? Is that prospect more likely regarding North Korea or more likely regarding China and the defense of Taiwan? I think it's China. Um, North Korea right now has a COVID problem. Uh, Kim Jong-un's got his hands full um, yes, he would like to provoke a crisis if he had the choice, but he doesn't really have the choice. Xi Jinping right now is halfway down that road, and he feels that he can't stop because he's getting a lot of criticism on Weibo, which is the Twitter-like service in China. Um, and he's getting grief um, from both people who think that he hasn't gone far enough and people who think he's gone way, way too far. So he doesn't have very much support right now, which means that he's a very dangerous political actor. I believe his threshold for risk is low, and he can take us by surprise. The uh, story in the Daily Mail says that uh, Japan reported five different missiles had been fired towards Taiwan. They overshot and landed in Japanese waters. Uh would they did they deliberately overshoot to send some kind of hostile message to Japan, or was just just sloppiness? I wish I knew the answer to that question. Um, I tend to think it was intentional. China has some pretty good missiles, and this really shows that China is looking to create more and more enemies at the same time, which is doesn't really make very much sense, Michael. And when a political system does things that don't make sense, you've really got to worry because then the normal um, calculations don't apply, the normal incentives don't apply. And this means that um, although, you know, normally you'd think that this crisis should go away, it's not going away, and America should be prepared pretty much for the worst. Uh, Does that mean uh, we need to spend more on our Navy to counteract some of the vast naval spending and building program the Chinese have undertaken? Yes, our Navy is too small um, with 285 or so ships. Um, But what's really needed is a new officer corps, one that isn't politically motivated to say whatever the president wants whenever the president says things that don't make sense. We've got a very broken Navy. This precedes Biden, um, especially with all those ship accidents. This really shows that the management in the Navy has been sorely lacking. And the president of the United States should make a high priority of straightening this out because if there's a war in Asia, it's going to be a war led by the Navy. And right now, I'm not sure we have the right flag officers in charge of this. Uh, And... uh, the uh, the idea of uh, Russian hypersonic missiles, Russian-Chinese cooperation, uh, that also represents a threat at the moment, no? It certainly does, and the United States can do something about it, but President Biden likes to issue warnings but does not like to follow up. The Chinese and the Russians understand that now, which means deterrence has broken down. Um, the most dangerous periods in history are when you have to reestablish deterrence That's uh, what's happening right now, Um, and um, we Americans don't realize how precarious the situation is. There are no safe options at all, and I think the the most dangerous option is continuing with policies that put us into this position in the first place. In other words, the policies that the Biden administration is ideologically determined to follow, 
um, every American should be really, really concerned that we've got um, the wrong thinking in the White House. I hope you'll rejoin us soon for some more conversation about the right thinking that we need in the White House and elsewhere. Gordon G. Chang. Go check him out on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Uh, we will be right back on The Medved Show on new charges about seeking to get rich, basically, spreading lies. Really? Uh, yeah, really. We'll get to that coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved show. <laughs> the, the, the news is, is just so astonishing. And uh, sometimes the revelations are so unexpected. Something that broke today, uh, which is incredible, involves an email that has been authenticated by a number of top uh, staffers on the Trump uh, for President campaign, the one that uh, crashed and burned in 2020, not the new one for 2024, which uh, President Trump keeps talking about announcing sometime soon, maybe even before the midterm elections. But remember John Eastman, the one-time law professor and uh, attorney who uh, planned to block the certification of the 2020 election? And uh, that didn't work because Mike Pence had the integrity and, frankly, the courage to stand up to the, the claims that he could basically do that, play games, and deny Joe Biden the electoral majority he had actually legitimately won in elections across the country. That same John Eastman, two weeks after the January 6th riot, sent an email to the Trump campaign, which was actually a bill. But in addition to a bill, it had a suggestion. On January 20th, 2021, hours after President Biden swearing in as president of the United States, it was Inauguration Day. Professor Eastman uh, emailed Rudy Giuliani former President Donald J. Trump's personal lawyer, proposing that uh, they challenge the outcome of the runoff elections in Georgia that had just uh, elected two Democrats, giving the Democrats control of the U.S. Senate. But those two runoff elections in Georgia, which were never really challenged, weren't even that close. They weren't as close as the presidential elections in Georgia. And uh, But here's what Mr. Eastman wrote in the previously undisclosed email. Again, this is uh, John Eastman to Rudy Giuliani, and it was forwarded to others in the Trump campaign, including a top Trump campaign advisor who appears to have been the source of getting this letter now. Here's what Eastman said. He said, a lot of us have now staked our reputations on the claims of election fraud. And this would be a way to gather proof. In other words, oh, yeah, we've staked our claims on claims of election fraud, but we don't have any proof. So we should 
use a new way to gather proof. He said, quote, if we get proof of fraud on January 5th in the Senate races, it will likely also demonstrate the fraud on November 3rd, thereby vindicating President Trump's claims and serving as a strong bulwark against Senate impeachment. Uh-huh. The, uh, the email, which was reviewed by the New York Times and authenticated by people who worked on the Trump campaign at the time, is the latest evidence that even some of Mr. Trump's most fervent supporters knew they had not proven their baseless claims of widespread voting fraud, but wanted to continue their efforts to delegitimize the outcome even after Mr. Biden had taken the oath of office. But here's the kicker that I find so remarkable. So remarkable. Uh, The kicker is... Mr. Eastman's message also underscored that he had not taken on the work of keeping Mr. Trump in office just out of conviction. He asked for Mr. Giuliani's help in collecting on a $270,000 invoice he had sent the Trump campaign the previous day for his legal advice. Okay, think about that for a moment. Yes, lawyers earn a lot of money. But two hundred and seventy grand for a few weeks of giving incredibly bad advice, the worst advice perhaps in legal history, to the uh, Trump campaign. The charges included $10,000 a day. That's right. You heard it. The charges included $10,000 a day for eight days of work in January 2021, including two days before January 6th when Mr. Eastman and Mr. Trump, during meetings in the Oval Office, sought unsuccessfully to pressure Vice President Mike Pence to go along with a plan to block congressional certification of the Electoral Colleges on January 6th. Um, By the way, the... uh, They have here in the New York Times says, Mr. Eastman appears never to have been paid. Okay, generally, and and I can tell you this, I I wrote a book, uh, a claimed book, I should tell you, and and a book uh, from 1979 called The Shadow Presidents. And most people who work with presidents and give advice but do not hold staff positions You don't bill a president of the United States. This was a bill that was submitted to the Trump campaign. In other words, all those grandmas and all those bus drivers and all those physicians and ordinary Americans who sent in a few bucks to the Trump campaign, they didn't want to send $270,000 to John Eastman? Really? Really? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it, it's lame and it's ridiculous. And the idea that here he was on January 20th, long after the election had been decided, long, long, long after it had been decided, saying we have to now find some new proof of this fraud that we're basing everything on. And what's terrible is there's still people who are basing campaigns on it which is a very distressing situation. Uh, An email came in from Ken in Squim, Washington. 
And Ken says, you keep saying pro-abortion when talking about those who want women to have control over their own bodies. I am not pro-abortion. I am pro-choice. You say you use pro-abortion because you want to demean people who are pro-choice. That is beneath you, Michael. At least I thought it was. Uh, look, I, I think pro-choice and the whole language of wanting women to have control over their own bodies, is it really the baby with a beating heart and certainly later in pregnancy, uh, a baby that waves its arms and has fingers and total human capacity, is that really part of the woman's body? It's inside the woman's body, but there there is a human life there. Is it alive? Is that thing alive? Yeah, it's alive. Is it human? It's stamped on every little piece of that baby with uh, human DNA. I am. Uh, I don't. I. I'm not particularly thrilled with either the choices, uh, pro-choice or pro-life, because uh, basically, when you are talking about most people who are pro-choice, and I'll use the term in quotes right here, Ken. Most people believe that abortion should be funded by the public. Now, if you believe that there should be federal funding or federal support for abortion, as the uh, last several Democratic candidates for president have believed, if, if you don't believe that this should be a choice, if it's a choice, that is left to uh, the private physician or the public physician, or the physician and his patients, but it should actually be funded by, uh, uh, by the public, by the taxpayer, then isn't that arguably not just pro-choice, but something that is more like pro-abortion? And also, we talked about um, they, uh, some of the demonstrators Wear, wore T-shirts, and I actually looked it up, and you can order the T-shirts. They're like $26 each. But they're T-shirts and sweatshirts that say, I love abortion, or I love my abortion. If you're wearing a garment like that, is it, uh, is it wrong to indicate that that is basically pro-abortion? Uh, I take your point. I take your email seriously. Uh, try to be careful with language, but reflect uh, exactly what is going on, which is very complicated here. Whoopi Goldberg has something to say, indicating that she really is pro-abortion as well. We will get to that and to much more in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 